Well, if you weren't here last week, uh, I'm not going to give you a full review. Don't worry, Lainey. Uh, so you're going to have to listen to it online or podcast. But uh, basically, we started uh, we started uh, in this what is going to be a two-part series on government. We could go longer. But I just wanted to talk to you a little bit about how, how the government came to be. Does it have anything to do with God, etc.? We talked about the origin of government, you remember? We talked about the purpose that government fulfills. And then we ended last week talking about what is our response? What is our general response? You remember that is that we, at the very, we are designed to obey the government, the God who the God is behind, right? And we looked at that last week. I told you about the three uh, institutions that God has ordained, number one being the home, number two being the church, and number three, may have surprised you, is the government, that God is behind even our government. Good, bad, and ugly. God is the one behind it. And that is from the police to the senators to the military, all branches uh, in our country, to the chief, to the president, from the private to the president. All right, It is all-encompassing. Any authority that you find over you, God is ultimately behind. Now, how well they do is determined by them, right? But we always have to have this understanding that God is behind this thing. It's not a man-made institution. Just like the home, marriage is not a man-made institution. The church certainly is not a man-made institution. Incidentally, do you realize how, how intertwined these three are when it comes to God's purposes? When it comes to God's unfolding plan in this world and dealing with particularly wicked men, the home, we're to raise our kids and we're to teach our kids so that they grow up to be good boys and girls, right? And then the church is to come along. And if the kids don't get it there, then my job is, what? To convert them. My job is to catch them before who has to? The government. If they get out of the house and mom and dad ain't taught them, and if they miss me, who goes to get them in? Police and the Marines, right? Depends on how bad they get. But do you see how they all work together? This week, uh, here's where we're going. I want to deal with just a couple questions. We're not going to get to all the questions that I alluded to at the end last week. But uh, I want to deal with just a, a couple. The main question being, now that we know we are responsible to authority, good, bad, and ugly, and we all know that authority can go horribly wrong, but we still have this responsibility to it. The natural question arises if we are thinking men and women. Is there ever a time that I have a place and even a responsibility, a divine responsibility, to disobey this divine authority? And certainly there is. Certainly there is. Uh, you can think of Daniel, right? The whole story of Daniel is a guy who was taken out of Israel put into the Babylonian camp. And what the Babylonians like to do is they like to strip away everything about you that is historically you. And they want to make you Babylonian. Babylonian books, literature, music, everything. Training, education, everything becomes Babylonian. And that's what happened with Daniel. He got put right in there. Now, in the end, the story that we know of Daniel is that he stood his ground and there was a time for Daniel that he said, no, I'm not going to do that. I'll not partake of the king's meat. Because in his context, that had, that had something to do with crossing the line. I want you to realize something, though, before I go on from the example of Daniel, is that there were a lot of things that Daniel did. 
that he was asked to do that may have been outside the parameters of, uh, of a normal Israeli boy. And Daniel did all those things, but there did come a time where he said no. Now, we're going to focus on that time that you say no, but don't miss the fact that there's a whole lot that Daniel said, you know what, all right, that you and I, if we are rigid, uh, anti-establishment uh, believers, we're going to say no, we're not going to do any of that. And there's way too many churches, way too many Christians that have taken that stance, that we don't do anything by way of uh, obeying a government if the government is not a, uh, a godly government. Well, uh, I can think of another example, and I want you to look. Turn to Acts 4. Acts 4, one of the prime examples in the New Testament of a time that we must draw a line in the sand and stand up against authority came for Peter and John. Not too long after Jesus was gone and off the scene, they killed Jesus. They killed him in a bad way, uh, public display, not a quick death, but a slow death, drug him in front of authority. Uh, for uh, Soon after all that went down, we now find Peter and John uh, in the same scenario. Peter and John get arrested uh, just because on their way to the temple, they saw a man who was begging and he was crippled and they healed him. And then people started to gather, and they began to preach. They said, you know what, this is an opportunity to share about Christ, and they did that. And those in authority didn't like it. Those in authority did what? They arrested him. Acts 4, uh, go ahead to verse uh, 15 there. It says, but when they had ordered them to leave the council, they began to confer with one another. The authority huddled up and said, what are we going to do with these guys? We brought them in. We've arrested them. We've brought them in just like they did Jesus. They've questioned them. They found out what was going on. And now they're going to say, all right, you guys take them back to the jail cell and we're going to, we're going to discuss what's going to happen here. So that's what they do. Verse 15, 16, here's what they say. What shall we do with these men? For the fact that a noteworthy miracle has taken place through them is apparent to all who live in Jerusalem. And we cannot deny it. But so that it will not spread any further among the people, let us warn them to speak no longer to any man in this name. Do you see what the authority now is going to ask Peter and John to do? They're going to ask them to stop spreading the word about Christ. Stop spreading the kingdom. Stop preaching. Stop telling the truth. Now I want you to see that this is a place where Peter and John decide they're going to draw a line in the sand. 18, and when they had summoned them, they commanded them not to speak or teach at all in the name of Jesus. 19 and 20, and here's the line. But Peter and John answered and said to them, Whether it is right in the sight of God to give heed to you rather than to God, well, you be the judge of that. Almost sarcastic. You be the judge. For we cannot stop speaking about what we have seen and what we have heard. Remember, these men walked with Christ. That's what they've seen and that's what they've heard. When they had threatened them further, and that threatening was not just in words. These guys probably got a nice beating on their way out. Their lives were probably threatened on the way out. When they threatened them further, they let them go, finding no basis on which to punish them. Years old, on whom this miracle of healing had been performed, meaning that everybody knew this guy. Everybody knew that this had to be a miracle and it had to be an act of God. 
had no basis for holding them. They beat him around a little bit, said, please don't do this anymore. Quit talking about Jesus. And they say, you know what? Um, we didn't resist arrest. We're not causing a rebellion. You've really got nothing to charge us on. We're obedient to that point, but there's a point where we can't be obedient. When you ask us not to speak the truth about our God, we have to draw a line. Great example of believers drawing a line. Would you notice a couple things about this account, about this story? You're, you're very familiar with it. The account, number one, didn't indicate any resistance or rebellion on the part of Peter and John. Never, ever in this account do we see that Peter and John resisted either the arrest or the questioning. No part in this do you find resistance or rebellion in the heart of Peter and John as to the authority. The account didn't indicate any insolence. Number three, there is a line, 19 and 20. There is certainly a line. But would you notice also, it didn't say that they were going to picket. They weren't going to stand in. They weren't going to lay in. They weren't going to chain themselves to the temple. They weren't going to march against the government. They weren't going to march against Rome or against the Israeli leaders. Uh, They weren't going to overthrow the government. They weren't going to organize troops. They weren't even going to send a letter to the editor. It's helpful to notice all the things that Peter and John never indicated that they were ever going to even consider doing. You know that? What is our response to government when government goes bad? Are there times when we draw the line? Yeah. But don't miss all that they do not do. They will stand and they will speak. They will not deny the truth. They cannot, in their conscience, deny what they've seen and heard. Uh, It's the story of Martin Luther who stands before the powers that be and says, Here I stand, I can do no other. You judge for yourselves. It is neither right nor safe for me to ignore my conscience. I can't do it. I can't do it. But there's a whole lot that they won't do that we tend maybe to have an inclination to do. Notice they didn't uh, set out this day to rebel against the government. It was nothing about this day that Peter and John said, you know what, we're going to go stir up some trouble. We've got a corrupt leadership, and we're going to go cause some trouble. We're going to get ourselves arrested. We're going to boycott. We're going to go to jail. We're going to get all our people to gather around shouting, uh, set Peter and John free, print up T-shirts saying, uh, free Peter, free John. None of, that, none of that ever happened. Would you notice what they did do? Here, and this is where I want to spend the remaining of our time. This shouldn't take long. Notice what they did do. And when we ask ourselves the question, how are we to respond to government when government goes bad, biblically? We've got to ask ourselves, what did these men do? And now we can know, what do we do? Here's number one thing I want to tell you. They did ministry. They were simply doing the ministry. They were on their way to the temple, as was their custom, of doing ministry. They find this clash with government, and now they have to respond. Number one, what do we do? Just do the ministry. Just do the ministry. Uh, 21 says, when they had threatened them further, they let them go, finding no basis on which to punish them. On account of the people, they were all glorifying God for what had happened. For the man was more than 40 years old, on whom this miracle of healing had been performed. Peter and John were just doing what they were supposed to do for the kingdom. 
in the midst of that, things happen that puts them in a position to stand for what is right. To stand even in the face of a corrupt leadership. Number one, just do the ministry. Number two, always remember just to do what is right. Just do what is right. Now, let me show you what I mean by this. Flip over to 1 Peter 2. We used this passage a little bit last week, but I want to show you a few more things in it. 1 Peter 2. Over to your right. First Peter 2.15, you remember it says, For such is the will of God, that by doing what? That by doing right, you may silence the ignorance of foolish men. That word silence, it's the word uh, that literally means to muzzle or to gag. It's the picture of putting a muzzle on an ox or on a wild beast. So this corrupt leadership, this insolent uh, authority that is above you, how do we respond against them? How do, we, how do we stop their mouths? What is to be our response? Peter says, do the will of God, which is what? The right thing, which in context is obey authority. How do we be good citizens? We obey the authority that we're placed under. What is the result of that? The result is that. It muzzles, it literally gags the mouth of those who are in opposition to us. How do we respond to corrupt government? We just do the right thing. And the right thing in our relationship with government is to obey. Obeying what the government asks is the right thing to do. And Peter says that it will silence their mouths. They will have no response. Just like in Peter and John's uh, story. They had nothing more to say because these men had done nothing wrong. And all the people were rejoicing and worshiping God because of the miracle. Do the right thing and those in authority will have nothing to say. They'll have no response. Uh, 2.16, keep going here. Look at what else Peter says. Act as free men and do not use your freedom as a covering for evil. Act as free men. What are we as believers? We are free men. If you go back up to verse 11, he says, Beloved, I urge you as what? What does he call us there in verse 11? Aliens and strangers. As believers, we have, uh, we have this relationship now to the world that is, know that we are aliens, know that we are strangers. We are, in a sense, removed from the immediate context of this wicked world. But then he immediately goes into the context of this paragraph where he says, although you are aliens, although you are strangers, and although you are free, we still have to live in the context of this world. We still have to live in the context of a governing authority above us. So although you are aliens, although you are strangers, although you feel removed, although you feel beyond, although you feel, in a sense, above above the law and above the authority of this land. Understand, do not use your freedom to do evil. We must submit. Keep going here. 16, act as free men and do not use your freedom as a covering for evil, but use it as bond slaves of God. What is to be our attitude to submitting to this 
uh, law of the land that in one sense we are above and removed from, but in another sense he says that we, we place ourselves as bond slaves to it through God. You get the picture there? A bond slave is a willing slave. It's a slave who's done his time and he says, you know what, I'm going to remain in this place of slavery because this is a good place to be a lot of the times. And so they said, we commit. I'm not here unwillingly. I'm not here because I've been coerced. I'm not here because I've been kept against my will. I'm here as a bond slave, meaning I've submitted myself to this authority. Peter says, submit yourself to God in this way, that although you are aliens, although you are strangers, even though you're free, technically, from the law of this land, we live in this context. And the will of God is that we do the right thing, and the right thing is that we obey the authority that we are under here and now. So don't go and take your freedom, believers, and think that you are beyond or above the law of this land. In fact, because you are God's, you submit to it. Honor, look what he says in verse 17. He's going he's to unpack this for you. Here's what it looks like. Verse 17. Honor all people. Love the brotherhood. Fear God. And don't miss it. Honor the king. Fear God. And honor the king. 18. Servants, be submissive to your masters with all respect, not only to those who are good and gentle, but also to those who are what? Unreasonable. Can you believe he asks us to do that? Even to those who are in authority that are unreasonable. Literally, to those in authority who are perverse. Wicked. That's the will of God. That's our attitude. That's what we do. We do the right thing. What is the right thing? The right thing is we obey. Nineteen. Look at what he says here. For this finds favor, or literally grace, if for the sake of conscience toward God, a person bears up under sorrows when suffering unjustly. For what credit, did you see it? If you do what is right, uh, some in Christendom, some churches, some believers uh, have, I believe, mis- mistaken this, uh, well, they've elevated suffering out of its context. There is a place for the believer to suffer, certainly. But some of us suffer what Peter would say and Paul would say. We suffer uh, for sin. We suffer not unjustly, but we suffer justly. Let me show you a couple more verses. Look at um, 3.17 here in the same, same book. 1 Peter 3.17. He's going to repeat this. For it is better if God should will it so. Notice that God's behind it. That you suffer for doing what is what? Right rather than for doing what is wrong. He says, look, don't, don't feel like you're going to need to suffer and get yourselves into positions where you end up suffering and feel like that somehow brings glory to God. Some of you are suffering, uh, and this is my translation, just because you're idiots. Not because you're doing the right thing, but because you're doing wrong things. Flip over a page. Look at um, chapter 4, verse 12. 
Chapter 4, verse 12. Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery ordeal among you, which comes upon you for your testing. Again, it's from God. As though some strange thing were happening to you. Uh, Translation, don't be surprised when the authority above you causes you to suffer. When they oppress you. All right? Don't be surprised by that. God's not surprised. 13, but to the degree that you share the sufferings of Christ, keep on rejoicing, so that also at the revelation of His glory you may rejoice with exaltation. 14, if you are reviled for the name of Christ, you are blessed, because the Spirit of glory and of God rests on you. 15, here it is. Make sure, though, that none of you suffers as a murderer or as a thief or an evildoer or a troublesome meddler. But if anyone suffers as a Christian, meaning doing the right things, he is not to be ashamed, but it is to glorify God in this name. For it is time for judgment to begin with the household of God, and if it begins with us first, what will be the outcome for those who do not obey the gospel of God? Skip down to 19. Therefore also, those who suffer according to the will of God shall what? Entrust their souls to a faithful creator in doing what is what? Right. Doing what is right. How do we respond to government even when it's uh, a government that's not ideal? When it's not a Christian government as we would like to shape it? Number one, we just do the ministry. We do the ministry. We don't set out in opposition to the government. We do the ministry. We focus on the kingdom. We preach the word. We teach the word. If in the midst of that, we confront government and we have to draw a line, we draw a line. But just do the ministry. Number two, do always what is right. Don't suffer for evil and call it good. It doesn't work of God. We say that we're doing, we're standing up for God. And Peter would say, sometimes you just need to, you just need to not suffer in that way. Not bring any glory to God. Um, no rebellion. No insurrection. Just doing right works best. Incidentally, if you were to look at the qualifications for elders in the Bible, Titus 1.6 says that the qualification for an elder is that he not be a rebel. The leaders in Christianity, the leaders in the church, are not to be a rebellious people. They're not to be those who go out looking for trouble with the government, looking for trouble uh, wherever they can find it. They're not to be rebels. As far as it depends on you, be it at peace with all men. First uh, Timothy 3.7 says that they must have a good reputation with those outside of the church. You're to be a leader in the church. You can't be in opposition. You can't be antagonistic to the government. You can't have set yourself up in such a way that you lose this good reputation that you might have. You have to be a good citizen. You have to be a law-abiding citizen. You can't be a thorn in the flesh of those who are in authority in this world. Does that just make sense? It does just make sense. Uh, Some of you know we were looking a while back at a building up in Jefferson, right on the town square. And uh, it never worked out. We met with the city and met with the city and and they kept throwing roadblock after roadblock. Some of them, uh, honestly, were just excuses because they had other plans for the downtown area. Uh, Ended up that it it, it just didn't work out. We tried to answer every question. We tried to give them a way uh, around some of their concerns. We addressed 
everything we could address, but it just you just had this sense that it was it was just roadblocked from the beginning, and uh, we just let it drop. We just let it drop, and there was a there was a sense that we were being, uh, and maybe it was just me that, uh, in some sense, we were being wronged, that we were being oppressed because we were the church, and there was a part of me that wanted to stand up against that, and I, I'll not take credit and say that I. Uh, that I knew these passages so well and that God pricked my heart because of these passages that I was an obedient Christian and I just didn't, didn't, didn't do it for the right reasons. Uh, I probably just, I can't tell you exactly why, but it just, it just, I just knew it wasn't right to take it any further. Later on, a couple of weeks later, uh, some of you sent me emails of links. That the news came out uh, from Atlanta and did reports because the city began to pass ordinances that a church at all couldn't meet downtown. Because they wanted uh, to serve alcohol in the square and within a certain limit, a church couldn't be there. And then they couldn't have a restaurant come in and sell alcohol. Did you see all that? Newspaper articles. It was on the news on all the different channels. Uh, and I just, I thought, hey, that's, that's us. And never was the name of Cornerstone mentioned. And I, I emailed the lady who did one of the uh, news articles. I don't remember what channel she was from. I emailed her and I said, hey, I don't, you know, um, I wish you would have asked questions on uh, the other side of this issue, you'd have gone to some of the churches in the area. They talked to the city council and they talked to some of those in authority, and etc. And I just emailed her and I said, "This may have been caused by us, and uh, you know, I wish we could have given you a little input from our side." And she emailed back and she said, "You know, uh, we'll come right back out there and do another do another story if there's more to this." Fifteen minutes of fame on Action Five News or whatever. But deep down, I just knew, you know what? There's going to be no good that comes in this. No good that comes of this. The government said, no. Did I like the no? No, I didn't like the no. Did I think it was a correct no on their part? Frankly, I don't. But I said, you know what? God's ultimately in charge. Let's just walk away. And we walked away. And uh, at that time, I have to tell you, that I was, I was pretty, pretty disappointed. Uh, I had high hopes in the potential and what I saw there. And... Um, Long story short, here we are today. Look at what God has done. And um, we just did what was right. Nothing more, nothing less. We just didn't do what was wrong. Does that make sense? Well, let me speed up through these. We do the ministry. We do what's right. Uh, third thing, we do the spiritual things. We do the spiritual things. Use the tactics of heaven, not the tactics of this world. How do you respond to government? How do you deal in a government that you may think is corrupt, but they're going the wrong way, they're doing this wrong, education's gone awry, health insurance's gone awry, taxes are going up, all this stuff. How do, you, how do you interact? Keep doing the ministry. Keep your focus on the kingdom. Do the right things. Don't suffer as an evildoer. Do the right things all the time. And trust yourself to God. And do the spiritual things. Man we, man, we miss this, guys. We miss it and we take them. We take them for granted. But we have to do the spiritual things. Real quick, turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 10. 1 Corinthians chapter 10. You know this verse well. 1 Corinthians 10, verse 3. I'm totally off here. I miss it. 2 Corinthians Second Corinthians. 
Yes, sorry. The typo on my notes. Second Corinthians ten three says, For though we walk in the you know the verse? Flesh. For though we walk in the flesh, meaning we are human and we do have to live in this world and we do have to live in the context of this world under the governing authority, all-inclusive, we are human, we have to live on this earth. Though we walk in the flesh, we, meaning believers, because we are Christians, we do not war according to the flesh. That's not our deal. We don't use the tactics of this world. That's not how we go to battle. We don't pick it. We don't stand in. We don't chain ourselves to the post office. We don't do those sort of things that would be rebellious and cause strife to our government. We instead, we fight the battle at a different level. We do not war according to the flesh for the weapons of our warfare. Meaning, the weapons of the Christian are what? Are not of the flesh, but are divinely powerful. Where do they get their strength from? Where do they get their viscera? Of the placard that we're going to march holding uh, in front of the city hall. The power comes from God when we fight the battle. Because our weapons are not of the flesh, they're not of this world. They're on a whole nother level, guys. They're divinely powerful for the what? destruction of fortresses. Is there power in fighting this on a spiritual level? You better believe it. We can take down fortresses and destroy them. Keep going. We are destroying what? Speculations and every lofty thing raised up against the knowledge of God and we are taking every thought captive to the obedience of Christ. We are ready to punish all disobedience whenever your obedience is complete. We fight on a different level. Ephesians 6 says, Take the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. Our sword is that we speak the truth. We proclaim the truth. We proclaim the Word of God. That is our sword. What are our spiritual weapons that are divinely powerful? Number one, it's the Word. You keep, you keep proclaiming the Word. You find ways to teach the Word. You find ways to proclaim the Word. Incidentally, is this exactly what Peter and John drew the line for? It is. They drew the line in the sand when it came to the place where they were told that they had to put down the sword of the Word of truth. Stop speaking in this man's name. Stop talking about Jesus. No, we will not do that. We pick up the spiritual sword and it is divinely powerful and it can destroy fortresses that are set up against us. We do it with the Word, number one. Can I show you our other tool? 1 Timothy 2.8 1 Timothy 2.8 To your right. Start in verse 1, actually. 1 Timothy 2.1. You know this passage. First of all, then, Paul says, I urge that entreaties and prayers, petitions and thanksgiving be made on behalf of all men. 
All men, including who? Verse 2. For kings and all who are in authority. Does that exclude the bad leaders? Sure doesn't. In fact, it might assume that they are wicked. So that we may lead a tranquil and quiet life in all godliness and all dignity. What is our life to be marked by as believers? Tranquility, quiet life, godly life, a dignified life. We are to be model citizens. What level do we fight it on? We fight it on the level of prayer. In the word and in prayer. Keep going. This is good and acceptable in the sight of God our Savior. You see that? What will please God? A Savior who desires all men to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. That's God's purpose. For there is one God and one mediator also between God and men, the man Jesus Christ, who gave himself as a ransom for all the testimony given at the proper time. For this I was appointed a preacher and an apostle, and I am telling the truth, I'm not lying, as a teacher of the Gentiles in faith and truth. And he repeats it in verse 8. Therefore, I want the men in every place to pray, lifting up holy hands without what? Wrath or dissension. In context, that's between you and the lost, you and those in authority. What is the believer supposed to look like? We're supposed to look like model citizens. On what level are we supposed to fight? We're supposed to fight on a spiritual level. Level using the sword of the word and lifting up holy hands in prayer. Now, don't sell those weapons short. Unfortunately, we do, guys. Unfortunately, we do. We think that we have to be uh, visibly active. Can I tell you that instead of picketing out in front of the city hall, or on the White House lawn, what might have more power is to stay home and pray. Is that right? Is that right? That you, biblically, can accomplish more, according to what we've just read, when you stay home and you get on your knees and you pray and you fight this battle on a spiritual level. For we do not war against flesh and blood. This is a spiritual battle. We want improvement? Get on your knees. And that's not just a cop-out biblically. That is where we find divine power to make change. Can I tell you that when we take up the tactics of this world, we always come out looking looking bad. We always come out uh, on CNN or on uh, Fox News. We always come out looking like the crazy, extremist, militant Christians, and it does no good for the glory of Christ. Amen? Fight it on a spiritual level. Finally, what else do we do? We do the ministry. We do the right things. We do the spiritual things. Uh, And I mentioned this last week. We spent more time on it, but I'll just repeat it. We do what Jesus did. We do what Jesus did. Let me read you. I'll go back to 1 Peter 2. After Peter tells us that we are to submit ourselves for the Lord's sake to every human institution, whether to as a king or to the one in authority, or to the governor sent by the king, 
for the punishment of evildoers and the praise of those who do right. Immediately following that paragraph, where does Peter go? He goes back to Christ. And listen to what he says. For you have been called for this purpose. In context, what is the purpose? To be obedient to those who are in authority. Since Christ also suffered for you, he assumes that you are going to suffer. Leaving you an example for you to follow in his steps. What did Christ do? He didn't rebel. Father. Father killed the son. And knowing that God was ultimately behind it, Christ went willingly. Keep going here. Listen, look at this picture of Jesus and how he acted and handled himself, even in regard to those who falsely accused him. 22 says, This Christ we follow in his steps, who committed no sin, nor was any deceit found in his mouth. Was he a rebel? No. Was he guilty in the sight of the governing authorities? No, he was not. Pilate had to wash his hands. And while being reviled, and he was, he did not revile in return. And he didn't. While suffering, he uttered no threats. In fact, his voice was silent. But kept entrusting himself to him, capital H, that's the Father, who judges righteously. And He Himself bore our sins in His body on the cross so that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. For by His wounds, by the hit that He willingly took, we were healed. We do what Jesus did. We do what Jesus did. Do we live in a wicked day? We sure do. So did Jesus. So did Paul. So did Peter. So did David, Moses, Joshua, Joseph, you name them. They all did. It is nothing unique. It is not a strange thing for us to suffer. So we will too. And so we're all kids. So will our kids. Why? Because sinful humans are in charge. Sinful humans are in charge. We're in charge. So just expect to not like what goes on in government. And just expect to suffer. Don't suffer for being an evildoer. Suffer for doing right. Never for wrong. Be obedient always. As a general rule, make a decision in your heart that you will be obedient always. Be a model citizen Draw a line when you need to draw a line in the sand. Always speak about what you've seen and heard. Preach the word, calling men to repentance and faith. Pray as if you believed it was your best artillery against evil. Pray as if you believed it was your best artillery against evil. And then you simply entrust yourself to the Father, just as Jesus did. You entrust yourself to the Father. Just as Christ did. Amen? Let's pray.